0: Our first reading for tonight is from the Old Testament, Jeremiah, chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety, and this is the name by which she will be called, The Lord is our Righteousness. The word of the Lord. Tonight's Gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and upon the earth distress of nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, look up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But take to yourselves, but take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a snare. For it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the whole earth. But watch at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that will take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. The word of the Lord.
1: smudge was saying something but it was my turn to order next he was standing about seven feet away not in line facing the heart of the mall what he said whatever it was again the tween in front of me was getting her the change and her thanks and have a nice day he almost yelled now you know what i'm talking about no i didn't know what he was talking about he's practically out of the food court i am in line In mere seconds, I will be greeted and asked for my order. And he is not even turning his head to face me when he talks. He just sort of turns his head a little bit uh, to the side and throws whatever it is. He seems to want to communicate to me over his shoulder. I don't catch it. I can't hear him. I am just about to yell, come over here and talk to me if you want to talk to me. Turn around and look at me if you want to talk to me. It is a proven method but he doesn't take his eyes off whatever it is he's looking at and just keeps throwing comments over his shoulder. Hi, may I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a fajita burrito and the veggie tacos and... You know what I mean? Flies towards me a little more emphatic. Now I turn my head and yell, I can't hear you, I'm ordering. The high school freshman behind the counter just sort of pauses, smiling at me, eyes full of vacant patience, like you would do if you were talking to a crazy person. Sorry, and an order of chips and salsa with guacamole and water and um, a Diet Coke. I pay and vacant patient freshman puts my order on a tray and slides it across the counter to, to me. I pick up the tray and carry it tentatively carefully because it is super crowded in the food court like everywhere and I am observing as I look down at the tray that the engineering is way off here. I have this super light tray, the food in the middle of it, and then this gigantic Diet Coke in the upper left-hand corner. It must be a full two pounds of soda and it is narrower at the bottom than it is at the top it is also 13 inches tall. How am I not going to spill this? It's off-center. The cup is out of balance. There are people bumping into me. This is the kind of mundane tension that occupies too much of my life. I finally inch my way gingerly to where Smudge is standing. He looks at me quizzically, then looks down at the tray. That's a lot of soda. I know. I didn't know it was going to be. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Let's go sit over there, he says, pointing to a bench. Oversized potted palms, island outside of the food court, at the edge of the mall atrium. I follow him. Smudge is my little brother. Not like my real little brother. When I was in college and on the Peace and Justice Committee, protesting against the World Bank and circulating petitions against U.S. involvement in some place or another, I had this sort of what passed for an epiphany. I should be helping my neighbor, like real people, right where I lived. So I signed up for the Big Brother program. They sent me an envelope with Smudge's name and address and a little bit about him. He was eight. He lived with his aunt. I was excited and full of a feeling of doing more of the right thing than the other people I know, uh, kind of a thing. And I remember getting in my car, and I... Put in some hip-hop, you know, to make him feel more comfortable. Um, I took out the envelope and read it over again. Sean Williams goes by Smudge. All right, I thought. Smudge, here comes your big brother. And then I looked more closely at the address, and it was in Blaine. Blaine? They need big brothers in Blaine? It wasn't really what I had in mind. I turned off the hip-hop. And drove to the address. It was an apartment building between a strip mall and a trailer park. I met his mom and she made him show me his room and then I took him bowling. He was kind of shy or scared, not really that friendly, and not overwhelmed with the opportunity to have a big brother. I didn't really know what to say to him. A couple weeks later, I brought him to my apartment for pizza and to watch a movie. And then I never call him again after that. It was one of those things that when even I remember it, whenever I remember it, I felt bad. So about a month ago, I was at the super target on university trying to pick out some socks that wouldn't make my feet sweat when someone kind of calls out to me from behind. Hey, big brother. I turn around and there is this guy like late 20s, and he sticks out his hand and says, come on, you remember me? It's Smudge. I don't think even if the eight-year-old Smudge had come up to me in Super Target, that I would have remembered what he looked like. But he remembered me. He said, what's up? What's your life like? You want to go get a coffee? So we went to Starbucks in Super Target, and he told me about his life. That he was living in Frogtown with some friends, working for the city, planting trees and plowing snow and stuff. And I told him that I always felt guilty that I had been such a bad big brother. He said, don't worry about it. I remember it was fun. It's the only time I ever went bowling in my life. No, I said, that was bad. I should have at least called you and told you that I wasn't going to call you or something. Do one last thing or something. Let's do this, Smudge said. Let's do one last thing, like a big brother, little brother kind of thing. So we exchanged numbers and emails and talked or texted like every day since then. Then on Thanksgiving, he called me and he said, You know what I want to do for our last big brother thing? No. Let's go to the mall. You know, it's Christmas and all. Sure, I said. Can you go tomorrow? Tomorrow? Smudge, it's like the busiest shopping day of the year, Black Friday and everything. I know, he said. That's what makes it fun. So we're sitting on the bench at the oversized potted plant island at the edge of the atrium, and Smudge is just looking, looking down the whole length of the mall people in bad moods and fake good moods elbowing their way in and out of stores, cell phones and hair extensions and Crocs kiosks all the way to the Santa photo op place at the end. You know what's messed up, he says? What's messed up? These monkeys. What? I saw this documentary where, well, see, at first they did this experiment where they would take a baby monkey just born and put it in a cage with, like, just a piece of soft cloth that was kind of warm somehow, and the baby monkey would, like, snuggle up to it like he thought it was its mother. And then they would do all kinds of things to scare the little monkey, and it would always run to the warm cloth for protection. And then they put the little monkey and the cloth in a cage with other monkeys and its real mom, and the little monkey stuck with the cloth. It would play with the other monkeys and stuff, but it would always go back to that cloth. But that's not the real messed up thing, Smudge said as he grabbed another one of his tacos off the tray. Uh, that this tray that I had precariously balanced on my knee, seemingly oblivious to the engineering problem. The real messed up thing is that then they did this other experiment with a just newborn baby monkey. It was like the same thing with the warm cloth, but the baby monkey was snuggling up to the cloth and then these metal spikes would suddenly just shoot out of the cloth. At first, the baby monkey screams and runs to the other side of the cage, like really freaked out, but the spikes retract, and eventually the baby monkey goes back and cuddles up with the cloth mom. Then boom, the spikes come out again. Baby jumps off, comes back, boom, spikes again. This keeps happening, and these spikes are like sharp. And you can see where the spikes got the little baby monkey. There's, like there's blood and wounds and stuff. Well, eventually when the spikes come out, the baby monkey doesn't even jump off or scream or anything. He just sort of adjusts himself and pulls himself off the spikes where they got him and kind of licks at his wounds and sort of stops the bleeding and then snuggles back up. Smudge says all this not looking at me, still staring out at the mall uh, scene, taking in everything as he talks. Isn't that messed up? Yeah, I say, that is messed up. Liberals have a hard time with the apocalypse. All this end of the world coming with horror and terror, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and the heavens and the earth crumbling and quaking. When this happens, you know the Son of Man is coming and you know that the kingdom of God is near. So watch, look for the Son of Man when these things are happening. I think the problem is this. First, we don't want God, we don't want a God that is going to like destroy everything. We don't want a God coming in wrath and fire and like, how is that good news, really? That's bad news, super bad news. And secondly, all that apocalyptic stuff that we're supposed to look out for, it's happening all the time, forever. It's always happening. There are always things going on. Wars and the heavens and earth are crumbling and the ozone and global warming and the polar ice caps melting and people starving and hurricanes and starvation, bombs going off. You don't really have to keep a sharp eye out for that. You barely have to read the newspaper. Or it probably just pops up on your homepage when you go online. But I think that Jesus's point with all this apocalyptic pronouncement as he is not saying God is going to do these things, cause these catastrophes to usher in the return of the Messiah, Jesus says, look at the trees. When they groan and begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. The leaves of a tree growing is not like a Jerry Bruckheimer explosion, end-of-the-world catastrophe. It's like a slow, simple thing that happens that is always happening, that is easy to miss, until one day you step out of your house and it hits you. The trees have green on them, and you think like it happened overnight. The tree was always there, growing, budding, flowering, dying. Jesus goes on to say, don't be weighed down by drunkenness, dissipation, the worries of this life, by the mundane catastrophes. Those things are supposed to be shocking, but in reality, are commonplace, so common that that is all we see. But there is something more going on in the midst of the violence and financial collapse and vacuous buying and wanting and needing. If If we stare into it, we can see a crack, a fissure, the tiniest bit of green, grace and goodness and beauty in the face of the angriest person. Spouting the most offensive rhetoric. Do not be lulled by the mundane tensions of this life. Look, watch for what is coming and is already near. I can't believe that baby monkey would just ex- accept those spikes, Smudge said, still looking out at the mall. I took the last sip of my Diet Coke. I mean, if that monkey, like, could see out of his cage, even just, like, through a crack, just a little crack, like, could see out of the cage, maybe into another cage where a real monkey mom was, cuddling another monkey baby, or if it could see out of the window or even a little bit and could maybe then see the sun or a squirrel running around, playing, getting nuts and stuff, if that baby monkey could see anything, I don't think he would stick with the spikes. At least I hope not. Smudge didn't say anything for a while. Just kept staring out at the mall, at the people, the whole cacophonous consumption. Finally I asked him, what are you you doing? For the first time he turned to me. I'm looking for cracks, he said.